0: You know what? It only records to, I just read something here. It only records up to six hours. So we couldn't have the six hour and one minute podcast that we've always dreamed of, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, our twenty-four hour charity podcast. Oh my god, imagine that. I actually, I feel like I feel like we could do it. Probably I feel like I'd lose my voice within about two hours. Which would make the yeah. rest of it um quite challenging <laughs> i feel like we'd need to have
0: like some rotating guests and cameos yeah, we need to sure. have like you know what would be good as well to have a bit of a list because i feel like if we were just kind of going off the top of our head like we normally do we would struggle for 24 hours um but you yeah. i feel like we could do it with a plan i believe in us all right that's it we're doing it now sorry cancel your plans mate <laughs> Get find a comfy seat. <laughs> You're like hearing, to, hearing to this voice for the next twenty three hours and fifty nine minutes.
1: Oh Jesus!
0: Um, but yeah, welcome everyone to Anthony. What episode is this? Uh,
1: eighteen. Eighteen.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to right? episode eighteen of the of the podcast.
1: I should we really call it going.
0: I really should call it pod gods because I, I often call it the podcast as if it's the only the podcast. Only
1: one
0: <laughs> this this is the only podcast <laughs> it's the only one that's allowed now just this one the podcast
1: uh, um, i mean not untrue yeah now
0: if anyone was trying to find our stuff recently we had some weird i don't even know hosting issues with spotify and i have no idea how long our um podcast was down for most of the episodes were were gone except for the most recent one um and then i sent a a sternly worded email to um spotify they panicked crying begging pleading um no don't don't remove the podcast from spotify you know you're all that's keeping us afloat you know etc etc um and then it came back on so if there was any disruption to anyone Listening to the pod. Sorry
1: wow, about can that. Can you imagine that? you would like, you're halfway through and then it just just yeah. disappears.
0: It's like effectively they just come in, they just rip our dulcet tones from your ears.
1: Yeah. Um, That'd be rough. People would be hanging on the edge of their seats, wanting to know what kind of tattoo Christian Porter has. And then it just cuts out. How brutal would that be? That was,
0: oh gosh, imagine that because yeah, you got to know. And it's, where else are you finding out this information? You can't just Google exactly. that. You can't just exactly. do what we did. We've made sure you can't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's uh, it's going – hopefully it's 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 all fixed now and, and stays that mm. way.
1: Um, Indeed. So we had a few things we wanted to,
0: to, to chat about. And we're doing a, a relatively early morning pod this morning. So if we're uh, not as high energy as usual, it's because it's <laughs> – Relatively early.
1: Oh, yeah. That that distinct Pod God's energy is just not quite. <laughs> it'll build up. It's building up to it, but it's just not there. yet.
0: Did you just? When did you wake
1: up? Oh, like an hour ago. Oh, Right. Okay. and yeah, about me too. Yeah. So um, I haven't. You know, I'm not fresh, but
0: not fresh, but not not super. Not not it. fresh.
1: white. Yeah, yeah. Have you eaten breakfast? Have
0: you? What did you have for breakfast? If you don't mind me asking. I had.
1: I had. Well, this this is a story that that might be of interest to our listeners, actually. It's certainly a story of interest to me now. It is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jordan, let me tell you a tale. Uh, So, semi recently, I have made the executive decision, independent, I must stress, of the the views and opinions of the broader community. I've independently uh, made the decision myself to uh, slowly phase out my nutella and cheese on toast breakfast
0: oh my god what why you need to tell me why i need i need every detail this is this is huge this is huge <laughs> this is this is podcast altering <laughs> uh
1: this is one of those uh media scoops it is uh, a media-, media exclusives even um well, I, I, I've i come to realise as the, as I rapidly approach my mid-twenties mm-hmm. um, that Nutella, uh, rather than being the healthy and fibre-filled condiment that I had um, mistakenly believed it to be, uh, is actually quite unhealthy. Now, I know this becomes a shock and... You know, I apologise to our uh, former sponsors, Nestle, for this <laughs> this realisation <laughs> and, and admission to society. Um, oh,
0: Anthony, you just sunk out... the
1: big Nutella deal that we just signed. <laughs> it's over. Um, but, yes, there is quite a substantial amount of sugar in it and too much of sugar, Jordan, it's not good for you. Uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: So I'm I'm as starting of, to of. transition away from such a sugar-filled morning breakfast, mm. um, which has mm, which has been tough.
0: Have you okay? Uh, so first, what have you transitioned to?
1: Well, I haven't transitioned to a staple. Yep. Yet. Yep. Uh So I have. Thus far, broadly alternated between um, kind of an avocado and egg on toast, oh, beautiful. or uh, yogurt and granola. That's a pretty, I think that's a bit of a staple. I think that's pretty, that's not too, yeah. That's well, the thing is, though, so I had apricot jam this morning. Um, that is <laughs> that's pro- that's <laughs> probably higher in sugar than the teller, oh, maybe not, but. <laughs> It's close. It's um, fruit, though. It's fruit. It, it doesn't count. Yeah, yeah. And I don't have enough fruit. But the the thing with the avocado and egg is having to do the egg. Mm. You know, I'm a, I'm a busy boy. I, uh, you know, in, in the hour that I give myself from waking up to leaving the house for work, that doesn't give quite sufficient leeway to be able to, you know, construct... A cafe-worthy smashed abo. yeah. Um, which means that I then just can't be bothered doing that. So have yogurt and granola, which, to be fair, is actually quite a nice breakfast. It is a nice breakfast. I look, mm-hmm. I, I'm not a
0: massive, I'm not a massive yogurt guy. I just I don't ever really eat eat yogurt. Like I'm just you don't don't like the cultures. So he's saying no, like. I like yogurt. I just I just never eat it. You know there's like I'm not I'm not anti yogurt. I want to stress <laughs> this before the people tune off. I don't want big yogurt coming after me. Um but just like I just I just never I just never eat it, really. And it's just I just I couldn't imagine like I I might have yogurt I can't... You know what? I can't even tell you the last time I had yogurt. I probably cook with yogurt Mm. more than I actually eat it because you cook with Greek yogurt and et cetera. But um, I think it's just one of those things that I just could never imagine eating yogurt every day of my life. And there are people who fucking love yogurt. Like There are people who eat like tubs of yogurt, just slamming it down like um, Chobani or like the, the Yalna, the pot set yogurt. Like some people just like would just eat that. And I just, I just can't, I couldn't ever, it just breaks my brain. There's so much yogurt.
1: Anyway. <laughs> I um, the thing, the thing is, so in, in my personal experience yeah. with yogurt, so I used to have as, as a child, yogurt was like a dessert. So you just have like a bowl of yogurt. Um, but the thing about yogurt is in the, you know, kind of hierarchy of viscous desserts, it is just – it's much, much lower than custard. So, like, it, it's a poor man's custard is my view of yoghurt. And I, I think that agree. custard, in is describing the it that way, I understand why you don't have a lot of yoghurt. Because if you have, a if you'd have to choose a, a viscous liquid, like, no one's choosing yoghurt as number one, surely. I just have a bowl of gravy
0: um, every morning. Uh, <laughs> just get a straw <laughs> – Let's get it down, um, yeah. I, see, I agree. Custard Ooh. is what a fantastic invention. Custard, mm-hmm. big custard fans here on the pod. Um, Absolutely. Okay. Here's the question, and this is this is really critical. What is better, hot custard or cold custard?
1: That's an interesting. So I, I very rarely, if ever, have. Hot, tepid or warm custard.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: So naturally, my first reaction is that when i re- when I imagine custard, it is cold. Me too. I agree. However, I think that the most superior form of custard is when a cold custard is complemented by a warm or hot oh. additional substance. Now you're, oh, this is getting sexy. Now you're talking my language. So I am I am unsure then, Jordan, if the warmth from that other substance that is therefore, I guess, warming up the otherwise cold custard. I don't know if that means that I like warm custard or if I just like the combination of the two.
0: Very, that's, see, that's a great argument. I think let us let's look at custard custard exists in two states and i know you said kind of lukewarm tepid custard i would consider that you know what that's that's tricky i don't know where i would consider that but i think you really only pour custard or however other kind of delivery mechanism you want to get your custard into the bowl spoon custard that's another class yeah in like spoon custard in ladle perhaps for hot custard Ah, uh, indeed, yes. Um, it exists in two states, two forms of matter. A hot custard, usually maybe from some sort of pot or cup or however the sickos that enjoy warm custard all the time use it. Um, but I think it's how, it, I think it's from whence it's poured, like the temperature it comes out and then hits the bowl, that is how you would classify it. So, me, I'm a big cold custard, <laughs> net. love custard. Um, the poles, double thick custard. Oh, it's
1: so good!
0: Fuck me, it's so good. Like, <laughs> oh, it's so good. I could, I dream about that custard. It's just, oh, it's just good. And like, you, it's meant to. That is meant to be cold. It's meant to be quite a chilly thing. Put that with like a, some sort of crumble, some sort of um, what else does custard go with? Like, um, my brother always used to get a whole bunch of hot cinnamon donuts and pour cold custard over them. And I thought, that's a genius. What a, nice. what a genius idea. Genius. That's a very him thing, isn't it? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he always makes weird things. I remember once he came over to my place, uh, Anthony came over to my place and my brother made Anthony like this. Abomination of a sandwich, or or like sent from heaven, depending on your standpoint. What was it? It was like a potato fritter, oh, that's and then right. hot yeah, chip yeah. sandwich with like the thick sourdough, like freshly cut bread. And he made it was like absolutely ginormous, and he just sat there watching you eat this whole thing.
1: It was great. It was probably the most deep fried substance that I had ever. It was a lot of carbs.
0: It was it was mind. a lot of carbs. You're probably still, like, processing it now. It was uh, <laughs> intense. Um, but, yeah. All right. Custard chat. Let us know, folks, how you prefer your custard. Um,
1: yes. And if you prefer it hot, then please stop listening to the podcast. But, yeah. Anyway, custard,
0: custard chat and yogurt chat. But, so, okay, you've evolved. Oh, can I also ask, was it from mm. your fiancé? Who has encouraged you to cut back on the sugar or has this been a, a decision of your own?
1: It's been a completely personal opinion, Jordan, that I have come to independently of all other people. <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> I don't believe you.
0: <laughs> that... <laughs> the moment I heard I'm like, oh, this is this is someone telling Anthony he has too much sugar. <laughs> Anthony doesn't care about oh. sugar. <laughs> I will say, I will agree, that as a man hits his mid-twenties, the metabolism, you just wake up one morning and you just find, oh, my metabolism has just sort of stopped. Like, I just, Mm. you just realise, like, you know, when I was 21, I could drink and eat anything and I would just be so fit and skinny and good times. Uh, But now that I'm 25, Mm. over literally the last year, I have noticed my uh, metabolism just die, just absolutely collapse. And now I have to be like, oh, God, like now I have to like actually think about salt content and, you know, calories and all of this stuff. And it's uh, I yearn the fun out of life. I don't know. Look, I don't know if it takes fun out of life because, look, I still eat those things, but now I just feel <laughs> worse. Now, now I just feel bad Now there are consequences to my actions, and I, well, I signed up for that. But yeah, interesting, interesting. Oh,
1: <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. I, yeah, um,
0: yeah. You know cool, what
1: else? So, Jordan, consequences for your actions. Shut what's, up. what's going on in uh, Myanmar? <laughs>
0: Oh, God, you beat me to a segue. I was about to have a... Um,
1: Sorry, you can have the next one.
0: It's speaking right. of something that's unbelievable, you won't yeah. believe what's <laughs> happening in Myanmar right now. Okay. So, oh, also, by the way, Anthony, I feel like you and I called um, Facebook taking it down the news.
1: Yes. Yes, we did.
0: That's I feel incredible. like we, we called we've it. Done well. and we've done well. That's a, that's a pod god's
1: prediction um, That's like number two I'm sure we came up with at least one other before that I think we focused a little bit more on Google Ah, um, uh, yeah,
0: yeah But look, I'm still going to take it Still as a counts,
1: yeah, still
0: yeah, for counts, sure. still counts. Um, Anyway, so For those of you who may or may not know Because of, you know, whatever happened with Facebook There was a Coupe de tat, a, a, a coupe de tar. Um, the military seized power in Myanmar, um, also known as Burma. Um, they're pretty interchangeable words. Like they changed the name from Burma to Myanmar in like the 60s, but I think Myanmar is just like the very formal way of saying Burma.
1: Um, it's one of those countries with a parentheses name, I think. Is like, it? I no, Myanmar see... is one word.
0: Oh, it's well, I no, no, but
1: I, I always see it written as either Myanmar, parentheses, Burma, or Burma oh, all the other way yeah. around.
0: Um, I've always been a Myanmar guy, I like the name mm. Myanmar, it's a cool name. Um, it's just, I don't know, it's just there's something about the word Myanmar that I, I like, it's better than like, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know, anyway, <laughs> so. <laughs> There was a coup in Myanmar. The military seized power, and I thought it's it's really interesting because Myanmar is one of those countries that Myanmar is like Bolivia or like Kazakhstan or or something like that, like countries sort of in the background of just the world that kind of people often forget about. Um, even Indonesia is a bit like that, though. Australian Australia and Australians focus more on Indonesia than other than other Westerners, but it's just one of those countries that I think is a bit forgotten about. It's a little bit weird because it's been isolated, Um, but it's just, you know, I've met lots of people from Myanmar, from Burma. Just the loveliest, nicest people I think I've ever met in my life. Um, Really kind, really friendly, really, like, willing to kind of be your mate and and have a chat. Um, Really, really lovely people. Um, But also, I have written a lot about Myanmar through multiple degrees um, and I'm currently writing partly, among other countries, about Myanmar, about Burma in my PhD. So I thought I might be able to give a little bit of a overview about what's been going on and about Myanmar in general and kind of where I think it will go. But to understand that we need to talk about Myanmar. Um, Mm. And I don't know really where to start, but basically Myanmar is a country of lots of different ethnic groups. This is really key. That whole region of Burma is inhabited by heaps and heaps of different ethnic groups who speak different languages, all kinds of different backgrounds of like some are like Chinese, some are Thai, some are kind of Burma from the region, some are kind of Indian, some are Tibetan, like lots of different people inhabit this area. Um, And it's been controlled by different people for a long amount of time. And it was colonized by the British and then invaded by the Japanese during the Second World War. And then it was given independence in 1947, along with India. Um, so what is key about to, what is key to understand about Myanmar is that it is not really a country that is based on there is one powerful ethnic group called the they're, they're Burmans. That's where the name Burma come from, the Burman people who live in the center of the country um and they like make up the majority but they're not all powerful and and there's definitely not enough to be able to form the current state so you the 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 state cannot be formed its foundation cannot be based on kind of one ethnic group um it's a lot it's not like um say like France or Germany or like um i don't know what's another what's a good example kind of not in Europe uh
1: a non-european example
0: even Canada. even next door, Thailand, right, kind of based on ethnic groups and a history of a, a specific ethnic group. But that's not the case in Myanmar. In Myanmar, the idea of kind of citizenship and nationality, what makes you kind of Burmese as a citizen, the unifying thing that unifies all the different people together is Buddhism, right? If you're Buddhist, you, you you're pretty much you could consider, yeah, I'm like, I could be a citizen of Myanmar. So you can be Burman, or you can be Shan, or Chin, or Karen, or Mon, or all of these different ethnic groups. And if you're, like, Buddhist, um, and why I mean Buddhist, I don't mean as an individual, but, like, your ethnic group is, like, majority Buddhist, you know, you can pretty much be, like, I'm relatively within the realm of, like, being a citizen. Um, Now, obviously, the Burmans, like, the Burma, is um like the Burmese ethnic group is the dominant one and that's the one that you know usually in political power but also and what is really critical for Myanmar um dominates the military the military in Myanmar is very very powerful it's called the Tatmadaw and it has been one of probably the most influential force in the country for since since independence um but it's not a military, how we maybe in Australia would imagine military. It's more of like a gangster force, right? Which sounds, <laughs> which sounds kind of cool, um, you know, its a w- own way. Um, and so that idea of like being Buddhist, it make you Burmese, is why there's been a big crackdown over the last decade on uh, the Muslim, the Muslim ethnic group in Rakhine State in Myanmar, called the Rohingya, um, and mm. about, about a million of them have been either killed, pushed out of the land, there's been a big campaign of ethnic cleansing, um, because they don't fit into this idea of what it means to be Burmese, because they're not Buddhist. They, the, the state cannot really incorporate them into its existence, into the foundation of the state, because they don't fit the base criteria, which is you have to, you, Buddhism is our unifier because we all speak different languages, all speak different, uh, all the different ethnic groups, all have different histories, different backgrounds, ties to different countries, but we're all unified by Buddhism. Um, so they're just, they you know, they're they're uncon- they're sort of, they're a piece of the puzzle that doesn't fit in the Burmese state. Um, now, this might sound weird, kind of, when we're talking about the current coup, but it's it's important to recognise how the Burmese. State has kind of come into function is through this idea of Buddhist nationalism so if you go to Myanmar you will find very kind of hardcore nationalists who are also very uh, committed Buddhist monks and that's <laughs> yeah right it's, which sounds crazy like they they'll be like you know peace love all that kind of Buddhist stuff but on the other hand then they'll be like oh yeah but like the Rohingya are actually um, there that they actually should be in Bangladesh. They're illegal immigrants. Um and we need to like violently push them out of the country. So it kind of exists in this weird state. Occupied by the British for a long time, independence in 1947. So in 1947, um there was this guy called An and he was a military general, um, but also a political leader. And he had been fighting a long time in Burma and Myanmar to get it independent from the British, both militarily and politically. When the Japanese invaded, he joined up with them. But the moment that the Japanese were losing, he swapped side, joined with the allies, made a deal to get independence and fought against the Japanese. And he's the guy who founded the military. Um, he founded a whole bunch of parties. He founded the communist party, founded the socialist party, but he also founded just like, he's the father of the nation. Yeah. Um, he's the Ataturk. He's the, he's the Charles de Gaulle. He's the, who would, who would you describe as the father of the nation in Australia? Like, do we have someone like that? Well, it's that?
1: obviously Sir Edmund Barton, Jordan, our first Prime Minister.
0: Obviously. Everyone knows that. Um, <laughs> like, legitimately, like, is there? I don't feel like we have, like, a national founding figure in the same way that some other countries do. Um, yeah. And, you know, I guess Charles de Gaulle yeah. maybe is a bad one, but it definitely of, of that specific French, of our current understanding of France. Anyway, uh, Aung San, chill guy. He wants independence from Myanmar. A lot of people like him. He's got support from the population. Um, But you know those, like, movies or, like, you read a book and you hear a story, like, you know, like, oh, if this person had lived or had died or something, all of history would be different. Aung San is yeah. that person. So Aung San was assassinated by the military about 6 months before um Myanmar became independent so he didn't get to see it uh-huh. um by the burmese military i should say and from that moment everything's been not great um there's a parallel universe that in which unsung survived and Myanmar is like a very prosperous um open country that that doesn't have all these things but unsung was Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so, just sorry to interrupt, but just on that point, yeah, he founded the. I yeah founded the the military. Was there a like a backstacking, the backstabbing second in command, or a little bit? What, yeah, like? a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So, it's
0: not really sure. There's lots of different theories about what happened. Um, a lot of other kind of members of the the kind of what would be what was planning to be the kind of independent Burmese government were killed. Um, it was like at a cabinet meeting that soldiers kind of rushed in uh, and just like machine gunned the whole room. Um, his sort of second in command, a man named, oh God, it's such a, it's a difficult name. It's, it's the letter U space NU. So U NU um, uh, took power. He was sort of the second in command. Oh, I think Anthony just left. Oh no, he's back. Are you here? He's back. He's yes. back. Um, UNU was his second in command and took over after him. And then so maybe a couple of years, there were kind of very weak civilian governments. And the military just increasingly became more and more influential in politics and in society. So in 1962, the, the Burmese government was sort of in shambles. And General Ne Win overthrew the government and took control of the country. And the military effectively ran the country from then. They had a political party, uh, the state. No, that's a different one, sorry. It was, I can't remember what it was called. Um, And the country, and that was in 1962. Uh, It was called, they called it, like the the military called themselves like a socialist government. But really it was just a a planned economy, very isolated country. that was, okay, in what we would describe as a Praetorian state. So the idea of the military is that the military defends the state, but the military can't really exist outside the state, right? The military relies on the state to exist in in our regular, quotations, regular society, say in Australia. But in Myanmar during this time and even today, it's almost the reverse. The state exists for the purpose of the military, right? So instead of a state with a military, it's a military with a state attached to it. Uh, Um, So pretty much the entire country is geared towards keeping the military um, occupied, safe, all of these things. Now, going back, do you remember all of those ethnic groups I was talking about?
1: I do. I do indeed.
0: So during, after 1962, and actually one of the reasons the military seized power is that pretty much all of its existence, there's been a low-grade civil war guerrilla movement running through Myanmar. Uh, the Shan, the Karen, the Min, they've all had kind of armed groups fighting for either independence, autonomy, a better role within the Myanmar, the Burmese state, etc. cetera. Um, and so the military is the arch enemy of ethnic groups in Myanmar. So Ne Win, during is, yeah. 1962, there was effectively like a big, big civil war going on with all the different ethnic groups communist party a whole range of stuff so from 1962 to about night to till 1988 the military was in charge of the country so then in 1988 there was a big um revolution it's called the 888 movement because it started on august 8th 1988 i think mm-hmm. um big protests a lot of people killed people marching in the streets calling for democracy Democracy didn't happen, but the military was overthrown by another section of the military. So, one general overthrew another general. And they set up something called the SLORC, which is the State Law and Order Restoration Council, which is a great name. Um, And then they had, uh, they were like, the military was like, oh, we're going to have elections. Um, In 1990, they had elections. And this election was uh, SOAR, the National League of Democracy. Is a really important party, which is the party that was just overthrown, win huge amounts of votes. Um, This National League of Democracy party is run by someone called Aung San Suu Kyi, who is the daughter of that original general Aung. And you probably know Aung San Suu Kyi; she's every she's like kind of seen as the face of, you know, democracy in Myanmar. Wins the election, the military is like, no, they didn't fraud. We're going to continue to rule. The military uh, they arrested uh, Anton Sukhi, put her under house arrest for like over a decade. Um, Then in 2007, another revolution called the Saffron Revolution, which was really critical because it wasn't just like peasants or workers or just regular people coming out. It was led very heavily by Buddhist monks, and a lot of Buddhist monks were like had the shit kicked out of them. Some of them were killed. So it was the military effectively attacking the very foundation of the Myanmar state, Buddhism. So the military quacked down on the protest. They didn't go anywhere, but the military is like, shit, like things are just going to get worse. We need to we need to do something. Now, this new military, the slork was very different to the old one it wasn't a planned economy it had opened up and this is when we start to see the military generals and officers effectively become gangsters they began getting massive business interests all throughout the country it can be something like um like all sim cards in myanmar are like owned by like one general and beer is owned by one general jade mining um if you want to go skydiving or parachuting or any of those kind of tourist things everything kind of all the money flows back to generals and to military officers so now they have massive business interests in the country, as well as, you know, all the all the guns. 2008, they're like, okay, we're going to create a new constitution. It's called the Roadmap to Democracy. We're going to, um, like, let there be open elections. But the military is guaranteed 25% of the parliament. Is, is held by office in uniform military officers and as well as the fact that there will be a very powerful um, pro-military party all staffed by ex generals and ex-officers. But there's an election in 2010, um, the military wins, 2015 comes around and the National League of Democracy, and San Suu party wins the election and the military accepts the results. Aung San Suu gets in power and does a whole range of things. And I won't go too far into them. But in terms of relating to the military, Ansung Kyi makes peace with the ethnic groups. The ethnic groups, while not really super keen on Ansung Su Kyi or the National League of Democracy, they they're not actively fighting them. They're 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 better than the military. Mm. And starts to get more civilian oversight in the government over bureaucracy, the military, Um, very critically in 2020 or 2019, uh, there was civilian oversight into mining and gem interests. something that had always been a big moneymaker for military generals. They owned all the mines. But now they had civilian oversight instead of uh, 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 military oversight. So it was a slow weakening of the uh, military. And for about five years, the military was like, okay, we'll let them do their thing. Um, but we think that we're like the policies that we run on, we reckon the pro-military government will get in. But Aung San Suu Kyi was kind of clever in that she pivoted pretty firmly to the right in some areas and effectively stole the policy positions of a lot of the military. The key one being what was happening to the Rohingya. So. Like I said, the military was always keen on pushing the Rohingya out of Myanmar, and Suu Suky kind of followed up this policy, um, not necessarily in like legislation, but more in just allowed military units to kind of go into Rakhine State and like push out, kill people, do a whole bunch of stuff. She allowed it to happen, um, wow. and even gave it some tacit encouragement. Um, but this policy of like ethnic cleansing is so popular with the burmese base like really popular policy because it's they're seen as illegal immigrants throughout a lot of the other myanmar now don't get me wrong there is a lot of pushback against it throughout society but like it's a big Mm. thing and it's kind of like you know the you know the military was kind of banking on this being a successful strategy
1: um
0: The military is able to operate effectively also independently from the government because the generals have their own funding. They can fund their own army units, pay them, arm them, train them through their own pockets because they control so much of the resources of the country and business interests that they don't need the government, right? it's, It's the people that they need to have on their side. Anyway, election happens a few weeks ago. The military was pretty sure that they would do Maybe not necessarily win. They were pretty sure they would win. Um, but they would do better than they did. But it was a pretty firm National League of Democracy NLD landslide. And this was sort of the last straw for the military, um, that okay, they're not gonna be in civilian they're not gonna be in charge of the government. Their power is weakening, they're losing their access to their b- interest, business interests, the army is like becoming less and less important in society, and civilian um people are now Ironically, civilian <laughs> civilian politicians are now the one who are like getting all the, the, the kickbacks and the corrupt deals, <laughs> not the military. <laughs> so oh, the military's yeah. like, we can't allow this to happen. Like if we go another few years of this, we're gonna be in an even weaker position. We're at our strongest point now. We need to we need to move. And so for a few weeks the military was like, you know, we're worried about election fraud. We think that there's been some election fraud. We don't trust the results. Um and I had been keeping an eye on this because like I said, I'm interested in Myanmar. And I'm like, oh okay, like this is just the military just like doing their thing. They're just they're all always a bit like this. Um and but then something interesting happened which made me go, Oh shit. They're gonna coup the government is that one of the senior generals was asked, Oh, like, we agree you you don't agree with the um results, but you're not gonna coup the government, right? You're not going to like overthrow the government, and the general was like, "Um, well, according to the 2008 constitution, the military has the right to overthrow it, uh, like if there is any, um, to seize power if there is any kind of fraud." And I'm like, uh okay." And then the, the I'm like reading this, I'm like, "Oh, that's not good." And then the journalist is like, "Yeah, but you can guarantee you won't overthrow the country." And the, the general straight was like. No, I, I can't guarantee that, that that's what we'll do. We we may do that. And I'm like, oh, shit, they're going to do it. Two days later, first thing in the morning, military comes in and arrests all the political leaders, Aung San Suu Kyi, the president, um, vice president, ministers, writers, student leaders, political leaders, a whole range of things. It does it all about 6.30 in the morning and shuts down Internet, shuts down the state, country. Later that day or the next day after the military comes out. Um, and it's a, a very senior general called Min Ang Klang. Um And Hlang is one of the old guard. And he's sort of one of the last, maybe not the last man standing, but he's just, he's very influential. And he's, I reckon, probably one of the the last generals that could have gotten away with something like this. None of the others have enough backing, support, power, or really the inclination to do it anymore. But he's, he's a pretty hardcore militarist guy. Um, yeah. So he sees power and he's effectively, you know, they set up a parliament of such, but really it's a rubber stamp thing. He controls all political, civil and military autonomy in Myanmar. And he says it's only for a year. That I don't know if I believe because the original government, you know, the old military government said, oh, yeah, we're going to give over to like democracy whenever, you know. Uh, and they never did it. And the same thing happens all the time, right next door in Thailand. The military constantly overthrows civilian governments, and it's like, oh, okay, we'll give it back in a few years' time. And you know what? To, to I guess, the Thai military's credit, they do. But um, then they just coup them again, and a year later. So it's 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 like a little it's a little breather in between. Um, so yeah, Aung San Suu Kyi and a lot of people are kind of still arrested, and they have. Been very big anti-coup um, protests starting to happen in the country, especially in like the capital Napidor, and the biggest city uh, Yangon, which is a city used to be called Rangoon. Um, big stuff, and the military and the police are starting to really crack down. So um, there have been a lot of people injured. Riot police are out on the streets everywhere. Um, yeah, it's it's not looking good. But the thing is. I think the military have overplayed their hand a little bit because no one really likes the military. Like no one really like international relations-wise. So obviously yeah. the Americans don't really like the military. They would much rather work with the civilian government. And the thing is, the Chinese really don't like the military either. They would much rather work with Aung San Suu Suki because the military are very anti-Chinese. They're very anti-kind of anyone interfering in the, the country. They're very isolationist. And the Chinese are like we want to like build ports. This is part of the Myanmar's critical belt and road country. They want to build big pipelines, big roads and big ports in Myanmar to get into the Indian Ocean. Um, And the Chinese do not want the military to come in and mess it up. But obviously the Chinese like have a very clear rule. They never comment or interfere in other people's like internal politics, other countries' internal politics. Um, So they're like, you know, we're not going to comment, but I think even one of them, even a Chinese ambassador said, you know, this is the military taking over is not what we want to see, which is for the Chinese diplomatic corps is effectively like saying, fuck these guys, they're the worst. Like that is a big deal. Um, Bangladesh, which is next to Myanmar, very poor country, really doesn't want the military because the military now is just has the ability to push hard even harder against the Rohingya. Cause mm. more refugees, like something like seven hundred and fifty thousand people have fled into Bangladesh, and they're like homeless. Mm. They're in camps. They're on the border. The really the only country that actively, kind of benefits from this is India. So India has always had really good ties with the military, um, in Myanmar, um, and m- cause a lot of anti-Muslim sentiment. But also with Modi, he has a lot of kind of ties to the um, Myanmar. Um, military in terms of business, right? Like there's a lot of business ties. A lot of stuff goes across to the Indian border. A lot of, um, a big thing in Myanmar is jade. Like that's a big money maker. diamonds, gold, um, heroin. A lot of heroin comes out of um, Myanmar or has moved through Myanmar. So it is a big, it's like a big black market country. And the military, it's like thrives off this. Um, and when I mean the military, like it's not your average grunt from the village right it is your officers it is your educated elite it is your generals it is those upper echelons like the grunts aren't getting like there's no there's no (laughs) there's no like um uneducated um myanmar soldier who's like maybe done seven years of of school who now runs a, a jade mine um so yeah it's it's really Interesting. And I think the military will do basically everything they can to hold on to power, but they have a revolting civilian population who have a popular civilian leader. They do not have external support. They don't have support from China or the US. Russia doesn't really give a shit. The only support is India, and India's not really that great of a supporter. Um, The ethnic minorities fucking hate the military. So they, like, the moment the military. Uh, seize power, like every, I think, minority armed wing was like, hey, we're rearming. Uh, they announced like, hey, we're we're rearming. We're reenlisting everyone. We're getting out the guns. All of that stuff. Like we're getting ready for war again. Um, so the military is in such a tricky situation, surrounded on all sides by enemies. And so I don't know how that they are going to hold bar plunging the country into a brutal military crackdown, which they don't really want to do because it really affects their business interests because they don't want massive sanctions on Myanmar because they can't, they already are, but they, they don't want more like impacting their, their business interests because effectively that's why they've, they've seized control of the country. It's so that the civilian um, political aspect don't take away their mines, their farms, their lumber camps, their workforces that they control because they're in the military. Um, so yeah it's very interesting um wow that's a bit of a history of Myanmar sorry if that went on a bit long Mm -hmm. but I think it's it's very indicative of a kind of growing trend globally of just like you know in the 90s we had sort of a glowing trend of quotations democrat democrat, uh, democratization excuse me um But now we see a little bit more of a pushback of like, especially I would say, military governments. You see a military government in Sudan, in Thailand, in um in, in Myanmar, of course. You see so many kind of forces that, you know, military governments are very much of a kind of, you know, something of the 70s almost. Um they're they're not really a thing anymore, but they're 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 slowly kind of making it a like a, a bit of a comeback in some ways. And It's not necessarily because they have huge public support. It's more just because they just have access to so many weapons now and they have access to a globalized market. So, you know, they can sell so much products, both domestically, but now externally, you know, you can sell, you can be a Myanmar general and you can sell fucking, like I said, say like SIM cards to some guy in Portugal, or you can sell jade to some... Norwegian billionaire. I don't know. These are just people I've made up. I don't know if they exist. But um, a globalised economy means that these kind of military generals have a bigger market to sell their effectively black market goods. So, yeah, I hope the people of Myanmar kind of get rid of this military government. And don't get me wrong, Aung San Suu Kyi, I really do not like. Like, I think everything that's happening to the Rohingya is such a crime against humanity a lot of people say genocide. Um, it's not not necessarily in in the kind of um, academic terms where we call it a genocide, which is the the destruction, the liquidation of a population. This is more. <laughs> this is a weird thing to say. This is more your run of the mill ethnic cleansing, the pushing out of people, the removal of a population. Oh my God. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So wow. I I hope, I hope this military government. Um. Dis- can't hold up to the, the protests, and I really hope that the ethnic groups in the country—the Shan, the the Kachin, the Karen, the the Mon—don't um don't just get involved in another pretty brutal guerrilla war. Because you know, develop these regions were starting to finally be like developed and electrified, and new villages were being built and dams and roads over the last five six years because there hasn't been so much conflict, but now.
1: Yeah, wow. Well, who
0: knows? So, yeah. Oh. That's crazy. I think the, the
1: harder thing was... joining the Myanmar military? What do you think? Interesting. How how extensive is their jade supply? Because <laughs> jade's quite a, you know, aesthetic gem, in my opinion. Yeah. Is it a, is it a gem? I feel like it's more of a... Like, what I'm makes sure. it... Who knows? It's what like what a... makes a gem a gem? gem?
0: I don't know is it like I feel like it's different to like a diamond it's nice I like jade um green great color uh especially the jade one big fan um but sorry I cut you off what were you going to say
1: um oh it's just kind of from the outside looking in and uh, as someone who hasn't had as much of a I guess like in in in-depth understanding of Myanmar and it's and its development um it just, it it felt like such a... I, I remember the, the, the uproar leading up to Aung Suki becoming democratically yeah. elected, and that was a big deal. But then it just seemed to go silent. So it's kind of like, oh, okay, so now they've, you know, they've settled down over there. And yes. uh, things are all running smoothly. And then this has come up yeah. recently. It's kind of like, oh, shit, what? Like, we thought... <laughs> we all like thought it was all but not really yeah yeah no not at all
0: that's such a good point that um, uh, i think everyone just thought oh the uh the government is um is de- democratic government now it's fine but like the military still controlled yeah. a quarter of the parliament just outright that's not including their political party which includes like another third so like for the National League of Democracy for civilian democratic groups to actually make legislative change in parliament. They need like 60, 70% of the parliament to even push past. So it's wow. such a broken state. Like I said, it's a Praetorian state. It's a state for the military, but that's yeah, yeah. under threat by the NLD. Um, and like I said, NLD also a lot of corruption, a lot of not great stuff, but um, you know. I suppose, is it a development having a corrupt military government turning into a corrupt civilian government? I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Um, If the Philippines is a good example, it used to be run by a guy named Ferdinand Marcos, military dictatorship, and very, very, very corrupt, extremely corrupt. The Philippines, very poor country. But all that corruption was sort of kept at the top of the country, like around Marcos and the generals and everyone. When Marcus is gone, the corruption didn't disappear. It sort of filtered through society, so it's not as right. big corruption in one area, but it's just smaller
1: corruption everywhere. Yeah, right. So it's a bit like trickle down corruption. Is that what you're saying?
0: Yes, trickle down <laughs> corruption. It it is. And so I am. I'm kind of <laughs> imagining something similar could happen in Myanmar, um, mm. which is sad. Like as like I said, people, Burmese people who I've met had a chat with. Um, Super nice. Um, there's this uh, Burmese dish. Oh god, I can't remember it. But it's like this rice thing, like this glutinous rice thing, and it's wrapped in like a banana leaf. It's delicious. Really good. Mm. Um, yeah, so good. But yeah, Myanmar. Good luck. Um, the uh, UN envoy, the man like the Burmese UN envoy to the to UN. Just did a big anti-military speech, like at the UN, and it, like asked the UN, "Oh, please, like, you know, help it's us indulged. out." And then, then the military was immediately fired him. Um, <laughs> yeah, so like, and I guess he's like on the run now. So who knows? Oh, Jesus! But yeah, um, yeah that's intense. And all like, and like all the, and like, it's really interesting seeing such pushback globally against you know the coup when like all the like it's interesting like I, I read something a journalist went into like Rohingya camps and everyone's like we do not care that um ansung suki was overthrown it's effectively the same people to us um now it's just going to be worse like we don't we we don't feel sorry for her and i'm like you know what fair enough um because like these big massive camps in bangladesh are really really bad state and um why would they give a shit about someone who allowed their effective okay, ethnic
1: yeah. cleansing? 100%. But, yeah.
0: Wow. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. full on. Yeah. It was full on. It went from custard to military coups. Now, my question, who controls the custard trade in Myanmar? Because that's a general that I want to get Whoa. on site with, yeah. <laughs> um, One of the dictators of um, Madagascar, I can't remember when, um, was known as the Yogurt King because before he overthrew the government, he, like, owned the largest yogurt-producing factory in Madagascar.
1: Oh, that's
0: amazing. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? The Yogurt King runs the country with a, an
1: iron fist. Oh, with a yogurt fist. Wow, that's incredible. Oh, what a, what a just, like, obscure thing.
0: Now, let me quickly Google him, the yogurt king. Maybe it wasn't Madagascar. Madagascar.
1: Because what's like, what what's the profit margin on yogurt in Madagascar? Somewhere oh. like Madagascar.
0: Oh, I can only get I get like oh, Chabani less sugar, Madagascan vanilla. Um, right. No, it's not come up. Oh, here oh, we go. Wait. Mark Ravlomanania. Um Interesting.
1: Because, you know, your, your typical uh, monopolies on things like that in the military and, you know, one person having all this power because of stuff is usually for for a, either a valuable item, so, like, obviously your diamond mines, jade yeah. mines in Myanmar, all, all those kind of stuff, or your, like, he, I guess infrastructural projects
0: yeah, like Trains in the
1: US, stuff. telecommunications,
0: yeah. That was that was like faxing in in Thailand,
1: like all of the uh the, he owned all the telephone towers and stuff. But um yeah. Yeah, but like, you know, as essential services go, I I wouldn't have put yoga <laughs> that high. <laughs> you know what's though,
0: you know what's sad? All of the people that control all our minds in the country, they can't overthrow the government. Like Clive Palmer, True. Who will will segue to from this? Nice. Um, what's it? He? He's he's not getting anything done, and he controls the all the minds. Um, but look, you have who some. Does? You had some. We did this because you texted me that, or oh, you have some interesting law things that only you will be interested in. But that's not true. I am also interested. So please tell me about your interesting law fact.
1: Thank you. Um, so there's there's a long version and a short version. I don't think I'm quite across everything and all the nitty gritty details for the long version. So I might just, you know, put a, an introductory teaser trailer in here. And then if this is still something that we want to talk about later, then I can do a bit more of an in-depth thing once I'm across everything. Um, Okay. okay. So way back when uh, in about November of last year, so when we were you know halfway through our, our podcast productions, um we had Clive Palmer challenge the uh, directions that the Western Australian government had put into place regarding closing the borders. so there's uh there's right. an act that each state has called the Emergency Management Act, which was amended just after COVID started being a thing, uh, but effectively it authorises the government to make uh, legally enforceable directions um, in order to effectively protect the state against, you know, things like health or harm to the people within that state. So every state has one. South Australia has one as well. Um, And then... Of course, WA were kind of forced to completely shut down access, except for exempted people. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, obviously, the man, the myth, the legend, Clive Palmer, uh, does a lot of the old digging. Uh, so he has he a. He loves company to dig. <laughs> based <laughs> in Western Australia, but Clive himself is a resident of the great state of Queensland. Um, now, as the uh, director slash executive of, of this company based in WA, Clive uh, applied for an exemption to travel from Queensland to Western Australia uh, as uh, and to be exempt from the otherwise restricted direction that didn't allow people to come into Western Australia. Yeah, right. His uh, request was rejected. Yeah. And naturally, yeah, right. if you are such an uh, active litigant, such as our dear friend, Clive Palmer, um, he decided to take this to the High Court. Yeah. Uh, in, in challenging the direction, basically, in order to go to the High Court, there needs to be some sort of constitutional breach, effectively. So right. the argument that was put forward was that these uh, directions that were created under the Emergency Management Act uh, were in breach of a section under the Constitution, section 92, which effectively states that trade, commerce and intercourse among the states shall be absolutely free. Okay. So there's this this bar, this uh, kind of constitutional protection under section 92 uh, that trade, commerce and intercourse among the states shall be absolutely free. Yeah, so there's a lot of like a lot of case law, a lot of history behind how to interpret this section and what yeah, absolutely what free, free yeah. means. Exactly. So vague. So hundred percent. Thank you, thank you, Constitutional Founders. Um, <laughs> <laughs> fucking so there's a lot of indeed. <laughs> what a what a prick. No. <laughs> um, so we've got this uh, this backdrop and this unclear meaning about absolutely free. So you've got some thoughts, ideas, thinking, well, that means you basically can't restrict anything, Um, and then others saying, well, no, that's not really the case. That would be nuts. There are some other ways that that happens. Yeah. Um, But for many, 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 many years, there was no real clarity at the kind of high court constitutional interpretational level as to, what that phrase meant
0: but i guess and in 1988 come up well
1: it had come it had come up a few times but okay. the problem is it came up at different stages in the kind of high courts development so you've got different ventures different judges who have different views about how it works and Within each of those eras, the bench itself also had different views as to how it works. So you've got decisions of like a 4-3 majority or like a 3-2 majority. So like there's no kind of unanimity about how this section functions. Yeah. So this all changes in 1988. You've got the High Court case of Colin Whitfield, um, which was... Uh, I'm actually just check to make sure that I have the facts right. So I think it was involving some fish.
0: Oh, yeah, check. hold on. Um, just why you do that's that? the right one. It's interesting the idea because, like, how could you have something absolutely free and then you know, quarantine procedures? So there's not absolutely mm. free trade of fruit through South Australia. You can't just bring mm. fruit in. Um, because we have quarantine laws. So surely that that has to be exempt. I don't know. I'm sure you'll explain it to me.
1: Exactly. So the issue in Colin Whitford involved crayfish, actually. So you've got under effectively South Australia and Tasmania had different restrictions on the like size of crayfish that was permitted to be kind of caught. And then you've got someone who was importing crayfish from South Australia to Tasmania, but were for the purposes, purposes of Tasmanian law undersized, but within the appropriate size or whatever for South Australia's regulations. Yeah. Um, There's a whole factual basis about it, but effectively the outcome of that was finally you've got a kind of unanimous court decision that gave some guidance to how trade, commerce and intercourse is kind of defined. Yeah. So they effectively came up with this test that could be applied for trade and commerce, but importantly and relevantly for the purposes of this Clive Palmer case, they defined the kind of intercourse limb of the section as like a separate right that would have a different test. Okay. So effectively, you've got a trade and commerce test as to okay. what you need to look at as to whether there's a a breach of section 92 for trade and commerce. Yeah. And what was undecided in Cole and Whitfield was there exists this different test and probably a a test of a higher bar for uh, the intercourse limb. Yeah. And this has been the settled position for. Since 1988, pretty much. Okay. And then we come to
0: Clive Palmer. Bloody Clive. So
1: the indeed. Uh, so he's saying that there is, <clears throat> there was a, a trade and commerce element, um, but there was also an intercourse element, and part of the argument that was put to the High Court was basically saying, well, what is the test for this? intercourse limb so it hadn't otherwise really come up there was almost decisions on it but not quite and none of them really going beyond that 1988 principle about intercourse being this separate separate limb separate test yeah and what made palmer so interesting and in fact quite um precedentially changing yeah. is that all five judges who sat on that bench and decided the case have effectively overturned Colin Whitfield and said that the test for trade commerce is the same as the test for intercourse. Right. So we've, we've you know, effectively overturned kind of 30, 40 years of
0: internal uh, trade negotiations.
1: Yeah. And found that the, the test is the same for trade and commerce and intercourse. It's a, a composite phrase. Um, so there's no, you know, a breach of intercourse under section 92 is not more or less, I guess, kind of severe or onerous or relevant than a breach of trade and commerce. Interesting.
0: Um, so, what does that actually practically mean then?
1: Not too much, really. But <laughs> I was going to um... say, what does
0: that mean if, like, if it was the other
1: test that wasn't used that much? So really, it's it's more of a kind of a point of clarity. Um, yeah, but so I guess one it of the things that
0: with, during yeah. COVID, so I guess it applies now.
1: Yeah, and and the thing is, like, what kind of? So part of the part of the test is about like burdens mm. on things. So you've got like. If you pass a law that, uh, like burdens Section ninety two, then there's you need to kind of analyze whether that burden is um like suitable, whether it's like necessary, and then there's like a a balance test, pretty much, where you say is the is the law appropriately balanced? Like what what it does, yeah, does that You know, fairly or reasonably infringe on this otherwise established right.
0: It's interesting that it was also unanimous uh, by the High Court.
1: Well, unanimous in the sense that it's combined. Okay. uh, Three judges had their test and two other judges had a different test. Right, okay, okay. It's all very, like, confusing and part of the long version i think because i'm still i think getting my head around how the how the tests work but you've got structured proportionality on one side and then reasonable necessity on the other and then once you kind of apply the test to the law then the conclusion kind of determines whether it's in breach of section 92 or it's otherwise fine Interesting. Um, but, yeah, it's it's really just the fact that this is, I guess, clarified what we thought was already clarified from way back in 1988. You know, Colin Whitfield has been such a, I guess, a, a bedrock of legal understanding of how Section 92 functions. Yeah, right. And then we've had this case recently basically go, um yeah, Colin Whitfield's great, but is actually not really right on this on this point. And it seems to have happened, I guess, so casually almost, where there hasn't really been much lead-up after it to say, Oh, like, yeah, it's a great decision, but it might right. not have actually stayed it right. There's just been a lack of that I guess, the hints of its change. Um, which has now just kind of happened almost off the cuff. That's so
0: interesting. This decision. Hmm. Um, okay, interesting. So, like, do you have any like? Can you speculate about if this will change anything, or do you think that there will be any other kind of sections that will come under review?
1: Well, I think that the only the, the real that on
0: Palmer was well, who's he doing next. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> usually is yes um, but i think that that really it uh, very much limits the circumstances under which a state law would now be challenged under section 92 so it's definitely i guess limited so it strengthens the state the state's yeah yeah so it's, it's it's limited i guess like the scope Of section 92 because the issue with this intercourse limb as being a separate limb um is really about i guess if it is a kind of a, a harder test to satisfy so to speak or if it's a um kind of like a higher threshold yeah then you know there are a lot more circumstances where you know a state law might be infringing that but now kind of combining it with the trade and commerce limb there's a bit more of a uh, I guess, like it's it's now a lower a lower threshold, like it's it's the same threshold as as trade and commerce, um, but that that level is lower than what had otherwise been, I guess, kind of projected or hinted at for the past, you know, kind of thirty forty years. Right. Interesting.
0: I uh, I can see, like, obviously the the nitty gritty of something like this kind of I think escapes me. But I can really see how the just the the dynamics of you know internal trade in Australia is kind of changed a lot by this, by leaning more towards say like the states, be it in terms of quarantine laws, be it in terms of trade laws, be it in terms of whatever. Um, I think is maybe representative of a broader trend towards you know like federalism's back, baby.
1: Well, I um, potentially need to rush off a bit. But this has been another excellent
0: podcast week. Right? Excellent as always. Um, thank you for thank okay. you for thank you for joining me. Thank you for the That's listeners, right. especially for listening to us. Um, we kind of wanted to rant a bit today about our own little passion project. We'll get back to the more newsworthy news stuff next week. Uh, next, Indeed. not next week. Next time. Um, <laughs> Look, we can't. We're not going to promise weekly uploads, guys. Like we don't. <laughs> we don't have the. We don't have the commitment or motivation to do that. Uh, but often enough. Look, if we if I can get it edited, oh, if I can get it and put it up today, it would technically be a February upload. We would have done one a month. a <laughs> <laughs> uh, good projection. Good projection. All right. uh, I'll have all have a good right. day. I'll talk to you later. Thank you, everyone. YouTube. Goodbye. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Goodbye. Simbuki. Goodbye. Simbuki. 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 Uh, let's get crazy to leave.